Welcome to this exciting sermon from World Impact Community Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more sermons and resources, please do visit us at wscc.in. Praise the Lord. Amen. It was a wonderful time worshiping the Lord together. This morning we are going to continue as we have been learning from the book of Hebrews and, and chapter 2 and verse 3. How then shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? I've been totally excited as I've been reading because the more I've been sharing from God's word, the more I've been preaching from the scripture, the more I'm challenging myself to walk with God. And I think that's, that's been my own personal walk. Uh, seeing what the Lord has to say um, in this season of mine. Last week, we looked at uh, this aspect called drifting or deserting. That's what we looked at last week. That so many people drift away and so many people are deserting the faith. And the Bi- it's no new thing really because the Bible prophesied that in the last days, many will drift and many will desert. And they will drift and desert because of various things, either because of the currents of time or what they're going through, or they drift and desert because of anxieties or problems or challenges that they're going through. They drift and desert, various reasons why people drift or desert, and we saw that. And whatever the reason people are drifting or deserting, they, many of them end up falling away from the faith. So the Bible clearly warns us as believers to take care of our life in such a way that we do not, in, in, a, in the time and season of our life, come to a place where we desert the faith. Now, if we don't take care of our lives in such a way that we, do, that we don't come to a place of such passion or such care that we don't desert the faith, if you're not careful about it, we would not know when we come to a season of our life. Maybe some people desert in difficult times and we saw some people desert in even good times. Many people go to a place, a good life, and when they reach a good life, they, they, they just end up, they're not prepared for the good life. Some are not prepared for the hard life. But so many are not prepared for the good life. And we saw various reasons why people fall away. Their unbelief or their disobedience or persecution or poor leadership, ungodly leadership or absence of leadership. Strike the shepherd and the sheep are scattered. Today, I want to take this next aspect. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? I want to take this next aspect called sins and let us. The book of Hebrews, as we look through the book of Hebrews, this, the book of Hebrews dwells on this one aspect again and again and again. Can you say that after me? Since, let us. Now I'm going to look at seven sins and let us from the book of Hebrews. Since something like this is going to happen, let us do such and such and such a thing so that we will be safe in a time of our testing. That we will not neglect our faith in a time of testing. So the first thing I want to look at is the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1. The Bible goes on to start off like this. It says, therefore, let us fear lest 
while a promise remains of entering the rest. Let us fear lest any one of you should have come short of it. Now the writer of Hebrews is is, is writing to the the Jewish believers, the born-again Christian Jews, Jews that turned to the kingdom. He's writing and he's saying, now that you've come to Jesus, your salvation has begun. But if a promise of entering that rest is remaining, let us fear. Now many people say, well, well, Christians don't live in fear. No, 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 Christians do live in the fear of the Lord. Let us fear, it's not fear the devil, let us fear us, let us fear God. Let us walk in the fear of the Lord. Since there is a promise, hallelujah. Since there is a promise, eternity, eternity is a long, long time. Since there is a promise for you and me to enter into that rest, let us fear the Lord. One of the first let us, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, is let us fear the Lord, and then it signs and undersigns with a warning, lest we fall short of the promise. It is possible, since there is a promise, let us make sure we don't fall short of the promise. The writer of Hebrews is warning the believers. He's saying, you have come thus far. You have paid such a price. You have, been, you have sacrificed, you have suffered, you have been opposed, you have stood for your faith, you've been ridiculed. Now at the end of the journey, don't blow it up. Because many people have come to the end and got distraught because they were not prepared. This is why Acts chapter 9 verse 31, the Bible, the Bible says, So the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria, they enjoyed the peace of God being built up. And going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they continued to increase. One of, the th- one of the hallmarks of the early church was a fear of the Lord. The church would gather together and they lived in the fear of the Lord. There was a deep fear of God. What is the fear of the Lord? Many people think fear of the Lord is to be afraid of God. No, fearing the Lord is not being afraid of God. The word fear of the Lord is to treat God with reverence. Is to give God that reverential place, that, that place with, well, like, you know, when, when we were young kids, you know, when, when, when some teacher would come to class, oh, there was a respect, you know. We would, we would, in our culture, we rise up to our feet, don't we? And we respect the teacher while they come in. But if the class teacher comes into class, there is that, extra added respect to the class teacher because you know she's the one responsible for the whole class but if the principal came into the class oh we knew something's happening here today there must be some kind of a specific announcement there's always a reverence for the principal if you were to meet the president of this nation you would go with reverence there would be a protocol they would tell you how to how to drive into the place what clothes to wear what you know they, they would give you a protocol what to call him they have an they have a complete protocol when you enter the presence of the president of our nation there's a protocol how much more glorious protocol The Bible says, when you come into the presence, come boldly into the presence of God, but come with the fear of the Lord. So what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God. The fear of the Lord is reverence for God. And this reverence comes from love. Only when you love and honor somebody, 
Can you treat somebody with respect, with reverence? So the first sense the Bible talks about, since there is a promise remaining to enter, and that's the joy of the writer of Hebrews. He's saying, we're not without a promise. Let us come with reverence, lest we fall short of it. So he's reminding them, according to what we saw in Hebrews 2, 3, 4, he's reminding them the four things that were pulling at their heart because reminding them, don't fall into the deceitfulness of sin. Don't fall. Someone said the other day, you know, someone came, came to that person and said, oh, today was a day I lived, I, 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 didn't, I didn't sin today. I lived a holy life. I, everything is good. I'm good. So someone listening to him said, you just sinned right now because your heart is full of pride. You know, <laughs> you just blew it. So, so many times we feel proud of ourselves that I'm good. Oh, my righteousness is good. I'm better than those people. I know better than those people. And the Bible is saying, let us walk in the fear of the Lord. Let's not get into deceitfulness of sin. Let us not harden our heart. We saw the other day, many people could not enter because their heart got hardened. They, they, God, the Holy Spirit will speak to them and they'll harden their heart. No, they won't, I don't want to listen. Oh, I know better than that. Oh, you know, I got to be politically correct or I got to be wise in our culture, all of that. And, and, and hardening their heart. Some people couldn't enter because of unbelief and some people couldn't enter because of disobedience. Unbelief because they didn't train themselves in what to believe. And disobedience because they outrightly went ahead. So since a promise remains to enter, let us fear lest we come short of it. The second sins that the Bible talks about is in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 6 to 11. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 6 to 11, the Bible says, since it remains for some to enter and they failed to enter. Since some remained, it remained for them to enter and they could not enter, the Bible says, let us live diligently. Hallelujah. Say diligently. Say diligently. Look at your neighbor and say, live diligently. The Bible is warning. What is he warning? He's saying some people, Hebrew author is writing and saying, some people wanted to enter. They tried to enter, but they failed to enter. The second sense he's talking about is that the failing to enter the rest of God is a reality. That not only in the willing or the wanting, but in the diligently walking in the ways of God. If you wanted to drive from this city to another, would you choose any roads and start somewhere and go anywhere? You wouldn't, right? What would you decide? You would probably choose the vehicle to go on. You'd probably choose the, the amount of patrol to put in the gas to put in the vehicle. You'd probably choose the road to go in. You'd probably look at traffic blocks and then you would, you know, Google it and find out which is going to get you there the fastest. You probably look at which are the best roads that you, options you have. What are you doing when you Google the best roads? You're just showing diligence. You're just showing how can I avoid some pitfalls? How do I avoid the traffic blocks? How do I avoid the bad roads so my vehicle will last longer? How, who can I take along so on the journey, if that person knows the road well, that I would not be mistaken on the journey? You see, what are you doing? You are showing diligence because somebody has done that journey and they missed the way. They couldn't enter. That is what the author of Hebrews is saying. Some people have failed to enter. So since some people have failed to enter, oh, it's got to be a warning to you and to me. Since some people have failed to enter, let us live diligently. 
What is diligence? Diligence is the complete attention and complete focus given to something that we will be able to reach, achieve what the Lord has put on our heart to achieve. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 11, uh, the Bible, uh, uh, chapter 4, we, we looked at that, verse, uh, verse 11, uh, chapter 4, 11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Let us be diligent to enter that rest. Hebrews 6, 11 says the same thing. It says, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. What is he saying? I want every one of you to live diligently. Say diligently. I want every one of you to live diligently. You know why? People of God, listen to me. Don't live diligently because you got to make pastor happy. Live diligently because it's your eternity. Amen. It's your eternity. This is yours. It's your future. It says, and we desire that each one of you show all diligence, the same diligence. Which diligence? The diligence with which you started. The early days of your faith, how you ran, how you were passionate, how you served God, how you preached the gospel, how you reached out to the unreached. Do that same diligence till the end of your life. Hallelujah. As to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, be diligent. Diligence is very, very important to God. Romans 12, 11 says, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. This is a very, very, very powerful verse. Many times when I've read this verse, I've reminded myself, this is the heart of God for the church. Not lagging behind in diligence. That whatever we do, if you're serving God, are you doing it diligently? If you are taking care of your family, are you doing it diligently? Are you, if you're raising your children, are you doing it diligently? If you're studying for your, your, your classes, are you doing it diligently? If you're planning to get married, are you preparing diligently? If you're going to be grandparents, are you doing that diligently? Now, in every season of our life, there has got to be a diligence. And I know there are people, you know, they, when they get into their work, they give it all diligence and they ignore other aspects because constantly life is pulling at our time. But the Bible says, let us be diligent. Why does God want us to be diligent? Why does God want us to be diligent? God wants us to be diligent because if we don't show diligence, the Bible says we can, like those that make it, we can also miss out. So how do we show that diligence? Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4 to 11. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4 to 11. The Bible says, For by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by its lust, which means he's given us amazing promises of how we can finish. Now, for this very reason also, Paul, Peter is going on to say, apply all diligence. Apply all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. He's saying, add one by one, add these things diligently. See to it that your faith is strong. And to that, apply a good character. Work on your character. If, there's a, if you're struggling in some area of your life, pick that up and say, this is a zone that I need help. This is what I got to work on. 
and this is not acceptable. You know, there are, there are parts of my life as I was growing up and even today, if there is something I do which is not right according to scripture or a, or a behavior or a temper or a, or a, or a, or a you know, a frustration or whatever, I, I oftentimes I look myself in the mirror and say, this is not acceptable. There's so many things. You've got to, you've got to go after that. Amen. And you've got to tell yourself, this is not acceptable. Christ didn't die on the cross for me to be left like this. Christ died on the cross so that I can be changed. Amen. And he says, so you add to it moral excellence, and to your moral excellence, add knowledge, and to your knowledge, self-control. <laughs> so many of us are spending our life controlling others. The only legitimate control permitted in the Bible is self-control. Everything else is illegitimate. And to self-control, because if you don't control yourself, you will lose the, the intended plans of God. To self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to your godliness, add brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, add love. Yes? Next verse, please. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless. Now, now, this is a very, very important word. If these qualities are yours and increasing, if these qualities are increasing, moral excellence and, and, and brotherly kindness and perseverance and, you know, your godliness and all these things are, are increasing, increasing, which means the intent for a child of God is God is saying, I want you to be diligent to work on this, work on this, work on this, work on your patience, work on your kindness, work on your godliness, work on it. If it is increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay, next one. For he who lacks these qualities is blind. So the Bible officially declares blind people that don't move in moral excellence, that don't move in brotherly kindness, that are not kind to people, that don't, are not patient or perseverant. The Bible says they're being blind. How are they blind? They have forgotten what God did for them. So us not pursuing the life of God is basically us forgetting what God has done for us. And verse, look at the next verse, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent. What is that? Don't forget what Christ has done for you. Be all the more diligent to make certain his calling and choosing you. Which means God has called you. God has chosen you. Make certain of it. How? As long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Verse 11. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. In which way? In your diligently pursuing after these things of growth. That way you will abundantly be supplied into the house of God. Since, the first one was since, the promise remains and people have missed it. The second one was since, some failed to enter. Let us live diligently. The third sense of Hebrews is since we have a high priest who has passed on to the heavens and sympathizes with our weakness. In all of chapter 2, 3, and 4, 
Paul is challenging us to walk with God. At the end of chapter 4, verse 14, 15, and 16, Paul comes to this beautiful place. He says, he says God is searching our hearts. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting through the bone and marrow, Hebrews 4, 12, and you know, laying bare the thoughts and intents of our heart. He's saying that word of God is searching all our heart and all. Now, because he's searching your heart, don't hide behind your sin. But, he's saying, but in verse 14, he says, oh, he says, let us... Since then we have a great high priest. Hallelujah. He's saying since we have this amazing high priest, Jesus, who cannot sympathize, who, uh, a high, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. So what is he saying? The third since he's saying, he's saying since you are not alone. Since God has not left you alone to struggle with your fears, since you have such a great high priest who sympathizes, who understands, who knows the challenges you're going through. If you're a pastor or leader, high priest, God understands. If you're serving God, high priest, God understands. And the Bible says, since we have a high priest who understands, what does he say? Let us therefore draw near with confidence. To the throne of grace. That's the third sense of the book of Hebrews. Let us come boldly with confidence before the throne of grace. How many of you feel you need grace this morning? Amen. If you feel grace, I want you to know the high priest, Jesus, he sympathizes with what you're going through. He ain't leaving you alone. He's got you by the hand. Hallelujah. He's got you. And he's saying, since we have this high priest, it verse 16 says, he says, let us therefore draw near with confidence. God is saying, don't come into the throne room of God with fear. You must have the fear of the Lord, which is reverence for God. But don't come being afraid of God. Come into the throne room of grace. How? Boldly. Come boldly before the throne room of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. See, this is the... The third sin is the beautiful thing God is saying. Since we have a high priest. And, it, and, and all the way from chapter 4 into chapter 5, the Bible says how Jesus became a high priest. He became a high priest in the order of Melchizedek because of his ob- obedience. He was tempted in every way as we were tempted, yet without sin. And if we come before Jesus, God is saying, you come boldly, you'll find mercy. The beautiful thing about the throne room of God, the Bible says we come boldly before, before what? We come boldly before what throne? The throne of grace. I want you to listen carefully to me. This is not called the throne of mercy. I know there was a mercy seat in the tabernacle, but the Bible says in heaven, you come boldly before the throne of grace. Grace is God's enablement. And grace is not mercy. Grace is God's help upon your life to do what God is asking you to do. Mercy is canceling the penalty of your sin. So what is he saying? Come boldly before the throne of God's enablement. Where you will find mercy. Amen. Mercy is not found loosely everywhere. Mercy is found at the throne of God's grace. You don't just come to God and say, have mercy on me. You never ask for mercy alone. You ask God, show me, give me mercy because you're going to give me grace. 
I got this one, Lord. I got this one. We're in this together. Come boldly before the throne of grace where you will find mercy, <laughs> receive mercy, and find grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Where you'll receive mercy, but God won't stop with that. So many Christians around the world are stopping with receiving mercy. Forgive me, Jesus. You know I'm like this only. What to do? I, I know you, you, you don't like me. No, no, he, he loves you. You're amazing to God. You're, you're simply amazing to God. You got, God loved you so much. He put such a premium on you. You're so amazing to God. And God is saying, you come, you'll find mercy, and you'll receive grace. The fourth sins of God's word. We saw the fourth sins in God's word is since by now you should have been teachers. But you're still drinking milk. Let us press on to maturity. The fourth sins God is calling us to in Hebrews chapter 5. He says, by now you should have been teachers. I wish you were teachers by now. You should have been building others. You should have been encouraging others. You should have been a model to others. By now you should have been serving in the body. By now you should have been sharing the gospel. By now you should have been, you know, standing up for the downtrodden and all of that. But since you're still drinking milk, you know, you know the Bible says in Hebrews 4, Hebrews 5, the last part, it says, those who are drinking milk are not accustomed to solid food. A baby is not used to solid food. And they have indigestion if you give them solid food. They don't like it. In fact, they will say, oh, man, I'm not sure about what pastor's preaching because I think he's preaching too hard stuff. Uh, I'm not so sure. He should preach about mercy <laughs> because we're not accustomed to solid food. Now, the writer of Hebrews is going on to say, by now you should have been teachers, but you're still drinking milk. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1 says, therefore, leaving the elementary principles about Christ, let us Press on. Say after me, press on. Let us what? Press on towards what? Maturity. So the next sins, the Bible is saying, since by now you should have been teachers, but you're drinking milk. But now let us press on. So what are your remaining days of your life? Pressing on. Days of pressing on. Forgetting that which is behind. I press on to take a hold of that for which... Christ Jesus took hold of me. Hallelujah. Did you know Christ took a hold of you? We were dead in our transgressions. He took a hold of you. And now he's asking, since he's taken a hold of you, can you take a hold of which Christ Jesus took hold of you for? Amen. Can you get, can you get a grip back? On the reason why Christ took a hold of you. Why has Christ taken a hold of you? He has taken a hold of you. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. For good works. Prepared beforehand. The foundations of the earth. We are, we, are, we are created so that we can do the works of God. That we can serve the king. So let us come before this throne of grace. And let us stop drinking milk alone. Let us move on to maturity. So what is maturity? Maturity is moving from a place of selfishness to a place of selflessness. The biblical definition of maturity is maturity is to become Christ-like. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, uh, 11 to 13, it says here, he, he ascended on high and he gave gifts to men, some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the works of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and to the knowledge of the Son of God, 
to a mature man. Mature man is what? It is to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Which means what is maturity? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that when people look at you, when people look at you, if you have to be mature, people look at you and say, you remind me of Jesus. That's maturity. Some of us, we feel we are mature because we've been around a while. (laughs) Are you walking in victory? Well, I'm trying. Are you leading people to the Lord? Well, I hope so. Uh, Are you you, uh, an example to the body? Are you you building up the body? Are you equipping the saints? Are you doing all that? Well, someday I want to. And yet after those answers, we think, hmm, I'm more mature than a lot of people here. No, that's not maturity. Maturity is the measure of the stature of the manhood of Christ. Hallelujah. God wants us to move on to maturity. And, he's, and then in this portion itself, he's saying, the land that receives rain again and again and again and is bringing forth thorns and thistles is immature. What else is the Lord saying? The next thing the Lord says about sins, sins and let us. Amen? Sins and let us. The first one, sins, a promise remains. Let us, you know, go after it. Second one, since people that could have made it did not enter the rest, therefore let us apply all diligence. The third one is, since we have a high priest. He's no ordinary person because he's high priest and he's gone ahead of us. Therefore let us come boldly before the throne of grace. The fourth one we saw is, since we, have, we should have been eating meat by now, but we're still drinking milk, let us Push on to maturity. The fifth sins in the book of Hebrews is since we have confidence to enter the holy of holies. And since we have a high priest over the house in the order of Melchizedek. Oh, this is a powerful scripture. I want us to look at that. Hebrews chapter 10. And I want us to look at verse Hebrews chapter 10. And I want us to look at verse 19 through 25. What is the run-up to Hebrews 10, 19 and 25? Look, let's, let me just show you the scriptures. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus Christ. What is the, what is the, the background to this particular verse? It is from chapter 7 onwards. From chapter 7 onwards, the writer of Hebrews is introducing about a Melchizedek. He was saying, Jesus, listen, he's saying, he's telling to the Jewish people, Jesus is not like from the tribe of Levi, who for themselves have to offer sacrifices again and again. He's not weak in their sin, that God has to show mercy on them. He's not from that tribe. He is from the tribe of Judah, but he's not a priest from Judah, because if it was a priest from Judah, he wouldn't qualify. In Israel, it had to be a priest from Levi. So even though he was from Judah, Jesus came as a priest in the order of Melchizedek. What was that? No father, no mother, no genealogy. He was literally from the Spirit of God. And he's saying, because Jesus came like that, he with his blood went boldly before the throne of God into the Holy of Holies and offered his own blood 
as the sacrifice. A Jewish mind would understand this more than anyone else. Week year after year, the Jews would go into Jerusalem and they'd offer a sacrifice of a lamb and they'd take a scapegoat and put the blood on it and send it out into the open. They would take another lamb, sacrifice, take the blood and the, and the high priest once a year would take this censer with blood into the Holy of Holies. And he would, they would tie a chain on his leg, a rope on his leg, and there would be bells around his clothes. And as long as he's walking inside, they could hear the bells, the high priest would be alive. But the moment the sacrifice was not acceptable to God, it was done in an ungodly way, the bells would stop ringing, the high priest would fall dead. Every high priest that went into the Holy of Holies, the Jew knew this, that they would go in trembling. Because he was going in with the sins. And I'm, I'm thinking, poor high priest. When he, he's had the privilege of being high priest, senior pastor, high priest. And the challenge of having to give account for the sins of all of Israel. Katari, <laughs> Lord, please. <laughs> you see, that is that one day of his life, he wished he was in high priest. Trembling. That if, if God doesn't accept the sacrifice and when he would offer the sacrifice and come out of the Holy of Holies, there would be a great shout in Israel, the sacrifice is accepted for the whole year. And the high priest would have been saying, whoo. <laughs> because someday the bell would stop ringing if it was not accepted. And then the Bible says, the Jew mind understood this. And the Bible says, and he's reminding the Jews, since we have a high priest, who now went in with his own blood. Blemishless sacrifice. He became the lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the earth. He went in. The Bible is saying, this is what it says in Hebrews in chapter 10 verse 9. Look at that. It says, since that we are now going in with the blood of Jesus Christ. It says, since therefore brethren you have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. This is not the old way. It's not the Jewish way. It's not the Judaic way. This is a new way. It's not the Levitical priesthood. It's a Melchizedek priesthood. It is not a blood of lambs. It's the blood of Jesus himself. It is not entering just the holy play, holy, holy here. It is the Melchizedek entering into the holy of holies in heaven. It is not just the covering of sin that happened in Judaism. It is the washing away of sin. It is a new thing. It is not taking people back into Jerusalem, into Judaism. It is taking us into the new Jerusalem, which is the kingdom of the living God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It is a new and living way inaugurated us through the whale that is his flesh because of two things. Because now we can boldly go into the, into the presence of God because we have a high priest. We can go in through his flesh, which is the whale. And secondly, it says, because and since we have a great high priest over the house of God for these two reasons, two senses, since the way is open into the Holy of Holies and since we have a high priest, now look at the three lettuces. Let us draw near with a sincere heart. He's saying because we've got this amazing high priest who laid his life down for us, let us respond by going near to God with a sincere heart. Let's not make it careless. If you say, listen, listen, if you say my high priest my high priest, because of him, I can boldly come before the throne of grace. You are also saying, because of him, I am not going to live a life of insincerity anymore. 
We can't have one without the other. Because if he's done this, the writer is saying, that let us come with a sincere heart before God. Firstly. Secondly, he says, in, in verse 20, in 21, he says, since we have a great high priest, verse 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with water, which means let us draw near, let's get baptized, let us have a sincere walk with God, let us come with confidence. That's the first let us. Since we have this high priest so we can go in, let us draw near. Second let us in verse 23, it says, let us hold fast the confession. Don't let go of the confession of the hope. Don't waver. It says, because we got this high priest, Draw near. Secondly, he says, get a grip. Hold fast. Hold in such a way you don't plan to let go. Don't waver. Two weeks, you're high. And then two months, you're backslidden. And then one year, you're on fire for God. And then three years, you've left the church. He says, don't wobble around without wavering. Why? Because he who called you is faithful. So the second letter, first one is, let us draw near. Second one is, let us hold on. And then in verse 24, it says, let us what? Consider how to stimulate one another to good deeds. He's saying, how many of you say you have a great high priest? You have a great high priest? He's saying, if you have a great high priest, you're responsible for the other people in the church. Mm. Come on now. Oh, you thought what Jesus did for you. He's saying, because Jesus did that for you, he's saying, you have a responsibility to be stimulating the other believers in the church and telling them, let us love God. Let us walk with God. Let us worship God. Let's do this. And he says, not, a, not just love, because many of us, we're all very lovey-dovey and no, fluffy Christianity. You know, oh, I love, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I love Jesus. He says, not just love. He says, and good deeds. Encourage one another to love God and to do, do good deeds. Let us what? Draw near. Then let us hold fast. Then let us stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And verse 25, what does it say? Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. You see, what is he saying? The fourth let us of Hebrews 10 is that let us not stop faithfully fellowshipping together. Don't come for fellowship when it's convenient. He's saying, if you have a high priest, stay in fellowship. If you have a great high priest, then walk with the family of God. Grow together. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Stand together. Why does he say stay in fellowship? Look at that last part. And this is what got my heart. This is what got my heart. Why stay in fellowship? You might think because I, so that, you know, somebody can pray for me and bless me. It says stay in fellowship. Don't be missing fellowship as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. Which means what? Stay in fellowship because his return is at hand. The Bible is connecting being in fellowship to the second coming of the Lord. He's saying, if you can't stay in fellowship here on earth, how are you going to be in fellowship in eternity? He's saying, stay in fellowship. Pastor, but I don't love, like that person. I don't like to sit next to them. Or I don't like this or that. Or 
No, but in a family, God is encouraging. Be in fellowship. Because that word that you hear that week or that day may build you and equip you and release you into the ministry. So the fifth sense was since we have confidence to enter the Holy of Holies. The sixth sense in Hebrews is since we have such a cloud of witnesses. I love this. How many of you know Hebrews 11? Hebrews 11? Yeah, by faith, by faith David, by faith Moses, by faith Abraham, by faith Joseph, by faith, you know, Joshua, by, all these, by faith, by faith. Then by faith, some women gave up their husbands and got them back to life. Other, by faith, gave them up for a better resurrection. By faith, Barak, and by faith, Gideon, and by faith, Samson. So many of the by faiths. This Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 is saying, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses from Hebrews 11. Since we have so many people that, you know, in Hebrews 11, the beautiful thing is they stood for the faith. Hebrews 11 is not a faith to possess. Abraham, he didn't get what God promised him. Moses did not enter the promised land that God promised him. You look at so many of the greats of Hebrews 11. The Bible says they looked for a better eternity. And the Bible goes on to say in Luke 19, Abraham was sitting in, in, in heaven and, and Lazarus, the, the poor man, was sitting in his bosom. Abraham could not enter the earthly Canaan, but he's already in the heavenly presence. He's saying, because we have such a great cloud of witnesses. What kind of witnesses? You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about Noah who, who built a boat when nobody knew what a boat was. And he said there's a flood coming when nobody saw what a flood is. And he's saying because we have people like Abraham, he called his wife Sarah when her name was Sarah. And she called him Abraham, what is that? Father of many nations when he had no son. When they did crazy things that seemed foolish to the people. The Bible says when, when against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Joseph was worshipping. Moses he was the son of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's daughters, you know, she picked him up and started raising him. And the Bible says Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He, you know, who would refuse to have such political influence? Who would say, I don't want that? Moses did. Moses said, I don't want that political influence. Why? Don't you think it's good to have political influence? He said, I've been there, done that. Been around a while. I grew up there. Because you've not grown up there. You think that's amazing. Moses was saying, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be ill-treated with the people of God. How many of you have understood? Moses made a choice to say no to Pharaoh and saying, go ahead and ill-treat me along with the rest of the body. He said, I'd rather be known as a Hebrew than be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose that and he gave it away, rather choosing to, to be ill-treated than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. Pharaoh's household was giving him passing pleasure. But he said, no, I don't want this. And with all these stories over here, with all these stories over here, the writer is saying in Hebrews 12, let us, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, if you're really seeing what Moses gave up and David gave up and, and Joseph gave up and Abraham gave up and all of that, since we have them as our witnesses, 
What are we supposed to do? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, 2, and 3. Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, the Bible says, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance. The sixth let us is the let us endure. Let us hold on. Let us run with perseverance. Let us stand in faith. Let's not give up. Let us endure the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's what Jesus did for us. For consider him who endured such hostility of sinners, so that you may not grow weary of enduring. What did he say? The sixth one is he saying, let us endure. And if we have to endure, the Bible goes on to say, you can't just endure like that. You need to endure by training. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, he says, for which son does God not train? And God is saying, if, if God's not training you, you're not a son. You're not from the house. But if he's training you, you're from the family. Which means if you're going through difficulties, you shouldn't be saying, God, why am I going through all of this? I don't know why only I'm going through all You shouldn't be saying that. The Bible is saying, if you are going through difficulties, you should be, praise be to God, who has counted me worthy to suffer for his name. Hallelujah. We should be, the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, we should be saying this light and momentary suffering. What kind of suffering? Come on, say it with me. What kind of suffering? Light and momentary suffering. It don't feel like that. It don't feel light. feels like a mountain. It don't feel momentary. It feels like ever. When, Lord God? But in the light of eternity, God is saying, it is light and it's momentary. Amen. Suffering is nothing compared to the glory that is going to be put on us. Hallelujah. Light and momentary suffering. That was the sixth sense. Let us run with perseverance. Allow God to discipline you. Allow God to discipline you. And train you. You train to endure. Finally, the last sense. The Bible says, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I love this portion of scripture. Hebrews 12 was 26 onwards. It's the conclusion of Hebrews. Hebrews 6, 20, 12, 26 says, everything that can be shaken, I will shake once more. I will shake economies. I will shake political systems. And I want you to know not one great empire from yesteryears is there today. They're ruins. I will shake political systems. I will shake empires. I will shake genealogies. I will shake pride, I will shake scientific advances, I will shake, you know what the Bible is saying in Hebrews 12, 26 verse 27 in fact it says everything yet once more denotes removing of those things which can, which can be shaken which means of the created things so that that which cannot be shaken will remain which means anything that can be shaken will be shaken oh your bank balances will be shaken mm. Your reserves, your, your education systems will be shaken. Nation against nation. People against people. 
everything will be shaken. And then the Bible says in verse 28, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, hallelujah. You know what the Bible is declaring? It is proclaiming and declaring, after God shakes the heavens and the earth, the only thing that will remain unshaken will be the kingdom of the living God. And he says, since we are receiving such a kingdom, yeah, hallelujah. Oh, makes it worth every single day of our life we live for the king. Amen. It just makes it worthwhile. Suddenly life makes sense. When the economy is crashing, you'll have a song in your mouth. Hallelujah. And your neighbors will be wondering, hey, you're hungry, we're hungry, but what's the difference? Uh, the difference is eternity. We got a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen. He said, cannot be shaken. Since we got a kingdom that cannot be shaken, what are we supposed to do? Let us show gratitude. Oh, hallelujah. Let us be grateful. Listen, listen, you know what it says? It says, you know, this kingdom will remain after the shaking. So what is he saying? He says, when it shakes, be grateful. When the shaking has stopped, be grateful. When the shaking has started, be grateful. When the state, you know, everything is done, just have a heart of gratitude. Say, thank you, Lord, that I'm part of this kingdom. By which, because of this gratitude, since we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude. By which we may offer to God, listen, offer to God an acceptable service. What is this? He's saying, since everything is going to be shaken and only the kingdom is going to stand, a good suggestion to offer to God is to offer Him your serving in the ministry. Is to use your life and your time to serve God. Offer Him an acceptable service. Spend your days. Serve God. Since everything is going to be shaken, and what kind of service? Acceptable service. Not just any service. Service according to his will. And then he goes on to say, how? In reverence, which means with respect. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Give me an opportunity to serve with respect and awe. So, wow. Wow. You appointed me to service? Wow. Hallelujah. Give him an acceptable service. And in closing in Hebrews and chapter 13, Paul comes with these final closing statements. He said, if we have to do serve God like this, then in Hebrews, give me the slide please. In Hebrews chapter 13, he comes after showing Hebrews 12 verse 28. He says, from there on, what are we supposed to do? Closing remarks. The first closing remark, he says, let us give an acceptable service to God. Let him serve, let us serve him since everything is going to be shaken. Then he says, in Hebrews 13, 1, he says, let the love of the brothers continue. Let the love of the brothers continue. Let's love one another. Since everything is going to be shaken, love one another. Then he says, since everything is going to be shaken, serve God, love one another. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers because by doing that, some of you have taken care of angels. God is saying, some, some of you in the born again Christian church, angels have been ministered to and angels may even minister to you. He says, don't neglect showing hospitality. You know, in today's time and age, when we get so, when we get more wealthy, our lives get more private. Our lives get more private because we don't want to be disturbed by people. We want our space, we want nobody to disturb us. And then we go down in hospitality. God's saying, if everything's going to be shaken, be hospitable. Take care of people. Love people. And he says, if everything is going to be shaken, 
Remember the prisoners. Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember the prisoner, those who are suffering for Christ, as though you are in prison with them. Now, what kind of remembering is that? You know, many of us, we read this verse, and we go, remember the prisoners. Sure, Lord. Nice remembering them. Today is Prisoner Remembrance Day. We light a candle or something. No, that's not what remember the prisoners. When God's standard of remember the prisoners is different. Now, this is why some of you need to think of maybe this is a ministry God's calling on me. What does it say? Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. Which means when you're sleeping in your bedroom and someone else is suffering for Christ, it should give you sleepless nights. And those who are ill-treated, since you are also in the body, do you get sleepless when you can do something about it? And they're suffering and you know that's a brother and you're quiet about it. He's saying you must remember them as though you're in prison. Or someone you love is in prison. Then he says, because everything's going to be shaken, marriage is to be held in honor. Love your spouse. Love them with all your heart. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. Do not get into ungodly relationships outside the marriage. For fornicators and adulterers, by the way, this, what I'm reading out, is for the believers. While fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. This is not talking about Old Testament before salvation. This is talking about since everything is going to be shaken like this, Hebrew believers, be careful that you take care of your marriage. That there is no sin, there's no ungodliness. Adulterers and fornicators, Bible says, God will judge. So since everything is going to be shaken like this, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, Hebrews 13. The whole thing is Hebrews 13, closing remarks. Since everything is going to be shaken, stop falling in love with money. Love God. Honor him. Walk with him. Make money and attach purpose to it. Amen. God's not against making money. Make all the money you can. Just put some purpose to it. Say, Lord, I'm making this money because I want to use this for your glory. I want to use this for your kingdom. Why should you not love money? Because he himself said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you, says the Lord. And I can tell you, testify from 30 years, God's been so faithful in our lives. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Because everything is going to be shaken like this. Remember those who led you. Remember your leaders that have gone in front of you. Pray for your pastors. Pray for the apostles. Pray for the leaders. Pray for the church elders. Pray for your care cell leaders. Pray for the people that are taking pains to walk with you. Pray for them. Remember those leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Who, who took the courage to study the word and to speak it boldly. Because everything is going to be shaken, don't forget those leaders. Stand with them. Stand with the pastors and the leaders of the house. Not just us, the house of God. Everyone God used to teach you and build you up. Considering the result of their conduct and imitate their faith. Because everything is going to be shaken, live like your leaders are living. Hallelujah.
Pray like your leaders are standing in prayer. Believe and walk and serve the kingdom. Because everything is going to be shaken, do not be carried away by strange teachings. Because it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Because everything is going to be shaken, let us go out to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. Because everything is going to be shaken, get ready to suffer for Christ. Because everything else you suffer for will be shaken. Everything else. Because everything is going to be shaken through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Hallelujah. Because everything can be shaken, let us lift our voice and let us, when we don't feel like praising Him, let's praise Him because the only thing that will stand will be the kingdom of God. Because everything is going to be shaken, don't neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And finally, because everything is going to be shaken, the Bible says, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your soul as those who will have to give account. Do you know what he's saying? Submit to these leaders because this is the only thing that's unshakable. And these leaders, which currently is me, has to give account for the way you live. Now I feel like the high priest. What did I do? What did I do to deserve that? The Bible says, obey your leaders, which means listen to what they teach you. Walk according to them. Imitate their faith. We just saw that. Don't, don't, don't sit back and say, oh, you're a pastor. You can live like that. I'm, I'm in secular world. No, no, no. Imitate their faith. Because they, let's submit to them because they keep watch over your soul as those who will give an account to God. The Bible says in Hebrews 2, 3, how then shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Because after everything is shaken, the only thing unshakable will be the kingdom of the living God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to close with this. You remember Daniel's, Daniel's prophecy statue? It prophesied about a head of gold and, a, and silver and bronze and, and finally you know, iron and feet of iron and clay. Every one of those empires prophetically have come and they have gone. But you know what is the end of the prophecy? A stone that is not cut out of hands will come and strike at the feet of that statue and destroy the kingdom. And that was the Roman Empire, the, the iron and clay together. And a rock not cut out of hands. Jesus is the rock of ages. Not cut out of hands. He came during the Roman Empire. And that mount has become a big mountain and it's filling the whole earth. And this kingdom of God, of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Amen. Let's pray together. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Of this kingdom, there shall be no end. Of this kingdom, there shall be no end. And if, if this is going to be the end, the kingdom, what manner of life should we live? Let's live with all reverence and holiness. The fear of the Lord. The love for God. Let us treat each other with, let us, let us stimulate one another to, to love God and love people and to do good works. Let's encourage. Let us be in the house of God growing together. Let us run the rest of our life becoming a blessing. Let us love God with all our heart. 
Oh, there were these seven lettuces that we looked at today. And I just pray in Jesus' name, Father, for the church today. Come on, just, just commit your life this, this morning again. Father, we want to submit our lives to you this morning again. Because everything is going to be shaken. Father, we are going to live for what is unshakable. We submit our lives. We give you the glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons, please do visit us at wicc.in.